Jason Wilde is brought to you by Boucher Automotive, where we ride with you every mile. 18 dealerships, 15 brands, and thousands of vehicles in stock. Check them out at Boucher.com. The only time all week when I'm not a good listener, but a great listener, Brian Villaga, the doctor of football with Jason Wilde. Take it away, Doc. Jason, good evening. Good to talk to you. How are you? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me. And I don't think Homer's ever a great listener, even when the two of us are going back and forth. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so before, before we get into combine talk and kind of what Homer and I were, were talking about before, what was your takeaway from the, the press conference of the new D.C.? What did you take away from it? Um, I didn't watch the whole 30 minutes of it because I knew I'd get, I'd get to talk to you about it. So kind of what uh, did you take away from it? What's your feel, kind of how this is going to work out? Yeah, I thought he made a really good first impression, Brian. I mean, okay. uh, again, he hasn't coached a game. He hasn't uh, had his defense give up a game-winning touchdown drive. So it doesn't really matter if he makes a great impression in his press conference. But nevertheless, you know, I think he's a smart guy. I think he's someone who's flexible. But I thought the most interesting thing that came out of it was that I think people thought, okay, Joe Barry has played this umbrella, extensively zone scheme, keep everything in front of you, don't give up the big play. Uh, on third and five, have your corners eight yards off the line of scrimmage to make it easy for them to convert. And now this guy's going to come in, especially having historically been heavy on press man coverage, both as a defensive backs coach in the NFL and as a college coach. And now it's going to go back to the old days from just before you arrived when Al Harris was out there playing press man coverage and going to Pro Bowls, even though he wasn't intercepting many passes. And I think it's pretty clear that's not going to be it. He talked extensively about his philosophy being vision and break. So what he, he's going to run some zone coverages, and I think you can do a far better job of explaining them than I can, where he talked about how you're not looking for people, you're not worried about that, you're – your biggest thing is to be able to break a hundred miles an hour at the ball carrier and that there's going to be multiple people in position to do that. And so it's going to be a different type of zone, but they're going to, they're basically going to play zone game extensively. And then when they want to blitz, then obviously you can't play zone as effectively. So they're going to then have to do some press man coverage. But if Packers fans were thinking, and again, you could play zone coverage and still not be eight yards off the line of scrimmage. But if you were expecting, you know, a lot of press man coverage, because that was going to be what frustrated you the most about the Joe Barry system. And now it was going to look more like you were hoping it would when Joe Barry was doing that. You're not going to get exactly the opposite of what you saw from Joe Barry. I thought that was the biggest takeaway I had. Yeah. I mean, I think based on, you know, what you said and kind of how he's explaining this. I mean, the the team that I could think of that did that the best, that played zone was Seattle, right? All the corners butts to, to, were to the sideline. Their eyes around the quarterback. Sherman and was always great at it. It was the cover three mm-hmm. defense, butt to the sideline, 
you know, playing in your zone, but you're looking at the quarterback and where that ball's being thrown and you're making breaks on it. And that's kind of what this sounds like um, we're, you know, we're, we're going to be seeing. And which, hey, the system's great, especially especially if you get the guys that do it, right? Like, obviously, Jair Alexander can do it. He can play press. He can play that style of of cornerback for him. My only question is, do we have the rest of the defense, especially in the back end, to play that style of defense? And that's kind of where we went last time, Homer, talking about free agency and the draft. And do we have the kind of guys that can fit that mold? But that'll be interesting to see how he implements that and how where he and where guys end up playing, right? Like I think that's the biggest thing. We have a bunch of guys that were corners and they went and played safety. And you know, it, it's a interesting dynamic, but I'm excited for it because I think it, it is a change. And obviously, if we can all remember Seattle, those guys weren't seven yards off the ball. They were in your face showing mannish tendencies and dropping into cover three, but eyes on the quarterback and super aggressive. So uh, I'm excited about it. I think it'll be good. I think it'll be fun. Um, it'll be an aggressive defense. And he, he could say what he wants about the back end, right? He could talk about it till his face is blue. But that's all dependent on what the front four do, and that's just the bottom line of it, right? You can play aggressive in the back end, but if you're letting the quarterback sit back there for four seconds, you're going to get picked apart no matter who you are. So that's the way I, I look at it. I think it's going to be a front four-dominated uh, front, but, again, we'll see. At least I, I hope we see. Yeah, and, and look, he's obviously, you know, he's been influenced by a couple of different uh, people, right? And and certainly Robert Sala is chief among them. So I think when you mm-hmm. look at what the 49ers do, they count on that front four uh, to, to get pressure. Unless, of course, in the Super Bowl, the Chiefs are getting uh, away with murder in terms of holding, and then they have to blitz more. But yep. that's, their, that's what they're predicated on. Uh, LaFleur said they watched a ton of Houston Texans tape which obviously yeah. D'Amico Ryans had been the defensive coordinator with the Jets, so that makes yeah. sense as well. Um, yeah. And and so I, I, I think, obviously, uh, this is why Homer does such a good job of listening. I think your insights are, are as always, right on. But your question is what I want to focus on, because I think this is the important question about what are they going to have in the back end? I mean, look, yeah. you're right. I think Jair Alexander is a good player no matter what scheme he's in. Um, you mentioned Richard Sherman. So did Jeff Halfley, uh, that he basically played this system better than anyone ever has, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Halfley mm-hmm. also had Darrell Revis, who was one oh, of yeah. those corners that whatever you need him to do, he can do because he's a Hall of Fame player. Um, but beyond that, you know, one of the things that Halfley talked extensively about, and you heard it, was about the safety position and what he wants in a safety uh, and while he may have described the perfect safety, which the Packers don't have, right now, under contract, the Packers really don't have anybody uh, yeah. under contract. Like Benny Sapp, uh, is, that's basically the list. Um, mm-hmm. So they have to figure out, does the Savage fit what they want to do? Uh, because he certainly was not properly utilized in the Joe Barry system. So do you want to re-sign him? What's his market going to be? How is he going to fit with the, what Jeff Halfley wants to do? Uh, and does he want to come back, or does he 
you know, want to get a fresh start, not just in a new scheme with a new coordinator in Green Bay, but a fresh start with a completely different team. You know, that's part of free agency. Part of it is that both Jonathan Owens and Rudy Ford, who, you know, are not Troy Palomalu and John Lynch by any stretch, but were competent players for you, are those guys two guys that you're interested in re-signing? Because they're both free agents as well. Uh, yep. In the draft, you've got five picks out of the first 91, uh, 25, uh, 41, 58, 88, and 91. Uh, do you want to use one of those picks on a safety? Um, because yes. we've seen guaranteed. Well, we've well we've seen we've seen a second round pick be used on a safety in Nick Collins, and long before that uh, on Leroy Butler, who started as a corner. But I would say that them drafting safeties, whether it's Ha Ha Clinton Dix or uh, Darnell Savage, a little bit uneven, right? And don't yep. forget too. They got to figure out what the heck they're doing at corner beyond Jair Alexander. Like, what's realistic to expect after essentially one and a half or nearly two completely wasted seasons for 2021 first round pick Eric Stokes? Uh, mm-hmm. Is Carrington Valentine as good as we think he was uh, as a first year starter and as a rookie seventh round pick? I mean, th- that's a position, their whole back end is a big question mark. And even the guy that we just got done talking about how good he is missed 10 games and got suspended for a game. So I'm, I'm not entirely sure what they're going to do back there. And that would be the most obvious place where they have to figure things out on that side of the ball. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, Homer, ask no, him about the combine. Yeah, ask I, him about the combine. I've never understood for years why coaches ever went because I never got a feeling and any stories that the coaches, what they talked about, ever influenced the general manager so much. I think they just went to fiddle and diddle, and I'm surprised it took this long for coaches to not go and give me some information that there's any reason for them to go since they don't know who's going to be taken, and I don't believe they have very much, if any, influence on who the general manager takes. So why go? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on what uh, team you work for. Um, I don't think so. Whether or not. Well, Do you? I, Clearly it does because there are certain teams where, uh, first of all, the head coach, you know, like Andy Reid, like they've got a GM right. and the GM certainly, but Andy Reid is kind of the, he's kind of like Mike Holmgren was in Seattle without all the titles. Right. right. But There's that a doesn't count. Teams that are like that. Um, also, I do think that there are teams where the head coach and the general manager are far more collaborative in the process, uh, I you know look, it's hard to criticize Goody because uh, there's been a lot of good players in the last two drafts. Um, still, I'm not quite ready to proclaim all of them as great players just yet. But you know, the system to some degree has obviously worked. At the same time, you know, I, if I, and again, I, Matt Lafleur has never said this to me directly, but I do think that there is a measure of. Uh, they, they don't really care what he thinks in right. personnel. And my answer to him would be, and that's so, the way it is in most places. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think it is. Okay. Like, I think, I think, I think Ted and Mike talked a lot. Now, Mike wanted veteran players. Right. Mike wanted Ted to be a little more aggressive 
in free agency, but they definitely talked. See, and I don't, about uh, Jason, I don't care if they talked. I don't care if they talked 100, day, 100 hours a day. The question is, what influence did the coach ever have on a GM? If you can tell me, well, the GM wanted this guy and the coach wanted this, and this influenced the GM to do something, but I've never seen any of those stories. So the talk means nothing because you can always say, we talked. Which means diddly squat. Yeah, but I, right, but no one, uh, uh, unless there is a, uh, an acrimonious breakup of the coach and the GM, and even then, you know, the coach is obviously trying to get another job. So uh, I am sure there have been instances where there have been vehement disagreements on players, and they never talked about it publicly after the fact. Right, but I would say in uh, most does, of those uh, cases, the GM took what he wanted. So it didn't really matter yeah. the coach talked or didn't talk. I, I just, uh, yeah, I just think uh, I, I am of the belief that the more information, the better. And if you're a, a coach and you get to interact with these guys, especially the position coach, I mean, Brian can tell you, um, I don't know. He was kind of a big deal uh, as a rookie. So I don't know. Did you skip all the workouts? Cause you were such a, uh, no. Surefire first round draft pick. Nope. Okay, good. I did them all. I, I, didn't I did them all. Did. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't think you did. So, you know, like you had certain teams, offensive line coaches running the drills on the field, right? In Indianapolis. Like, yep. you, there is a value to that. And, and again, apparently none of the Packers coaches are going. It's not just LaFleur right. saying, it's all of them. Right. And so, I, again, I don't, I, I understand what your argument is, Homer. I don't personally agree with it but your your point is a very fair and realistic one which is if i'm a coach and i work at a place where they don't give a damn what i think anyway uh then maybe i can be more productive than spending my time at the scouting combine but again you never know what it might be that is turns out to be valuable about being there. Yeah, but and I, I think yes. that's part of the issue. No, I think learning and just being out there and being with guys, I would go up and like, tell them to be with other people, their friends, could talk about other stuff, talk, just do a lot of talking. But everybody knows what influence coaches have, if any. Well, all right, so I'll give you an example, though. Like, And it doesn't have to be with the – and that, that, this is one of the reasons why I disagree, is that it doesn't have to be just the prospects, right? Like whether it's uh, – the example I always use is that uh, in 2002, um, we're at the scouting combine. Uh, I'm walking with Mike uh, Sherman across mm-hmm. the street and um, talking with him as we walk. Well, he's on his way to meet with the agent for Terry Glenn, who they're considering acquiring in a trade. And it's, it ends up being him, uh, offensive coordinator Tom Rossley, the wide receivers coach at the time, like they had that meeting in Indianapolis uh, because it's the epicenter of the NFL. And that was yep. why they chose to do it there. I'm not saying that there could be those kinds of meetings this week, but you give yourself that another as another opportunity for fact gathering about whatever. Right. About, and, but all uh, I care about is why they took him. And I, and the only you can interview those three people up there. Like, why was it done? If it was made, well, that that was that was different because Mike Sherman was both coach correct, coach right? And but I'm GM. saying it's a GM. I, I I think all these, you know, you might not be able to give the information, but you know, you know, the only time I ever heard is when the the scout wanted Joe Montana and Bart started to take him, and he screamed and yelled, and probably wanted everybody to know that. But, um, you know, the 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 meetings, 
<laughs> don't mean anything if you don't influence the person who's making it. And I don't know how much how much do the coaches even know who's going to be picked, right? Yeah, but you can't say you you can't say for certain. Like, what if there's a what if you have a meeting and your your GM feels one way about a guy and yeah. your coach feels another way, and then upon further like maybe your disagreement leads to further research on that player. Maybe. And then you realize that one or the other is right, and it could be the coach who's right sure. about liking them. So what I'm saying is you, you – I don't know what they're accomplishing by not going, but I know that there are at least the possibilities okay. of getting information that you're not going to get by not going. Okay. Like, I, yeah. I would love to know. And I'm gonna, when I talk to Matt LaFleur next, one of my questions is going to be, tell me about all the stuff you accomplished during the week that you and your staff – could have been at the scouting combine, but weren't. Tell oh, yeah. me everything you got done. We got done as much as know. we would have got done by going there, Jason. Well, no, I, I assume they're going to get other stuff done. No, right? maybe not. If they got nothing done there, they can't do less than nothing by not going. Right? No, they, if you're staying back and you're not going to Indianapolis, uh, I don't want to tell you how to do your job, right? but I don't think it's meant to be a week-long vacation. So you better be getting <laughs> something done. I don't right. care if you're uh, analyzing your scheme or whatever right. else. But you don't just get to take that week off. So what did he do instead? That's one of the questions I want to The question ask. is, how much did he feel he had to do instead? Thanks, Jason. All right, guys. Take care. Be good. Thanks, I could, Jason. I could be totally wrong. I'd like some information to prove with a story every now and then of the value of a coach going there and information he gave to a GM, and that's why they took him. Or if it was bad. I feel bad. I helped the GM to go. The guy's stumped. Third quarter. Next.